G'day, I'm Ian Swain, the owner of Swain Destinations, and welcome to G'day with Ian Swain. Today we're heading back to my homeland of Australia to talk about nature. Now I'm sure most of you know how cute koalas are, and the fact they aren't really bears, and of course hail from the bush in Australia, and they're picky eaters and long sleepers. But have you ever wondered how you can tell koalas apart from each other? Well, my guest today, who comes from Victoria in Australia, discovered a way to tell koalas apart in 1998. And she was awarded the World Responsible Travel Award for Best in Wildlife Conservation. She and her partner started a small touring company taking guests to the Aussie bush to see koalas and kangaroos in the wild and how, my, how it's expanded over the years. Janine Duffy, with her partner Roger Smith, founded and owns the Kidna Walkabout Tours based in Melbourne, founded the Koala Clancy Foundation, and we have been mates for over 25 years and work closely together as they allow my clients to experience Aussie nature so well. Welcome and g'day, Janine. I'm so happy to spend time with you today. As every time we get together, your enthusiasm and knowledge is enlightening for me. G'day, mate. It's so good to see you. And it just feels like it's been too long, hey? <laughs> it, it's, it's, this time is, is dragging on, that's for sure. I haven't been home for a few months now and uh, getting ready to come back there. So just have the government open the borders up as soon as you can. Yes, yes. I mentioned your award for discovering recognition of koalas, which is tremendously important. Can you explain how that all started? And also, when did your love and passion start for koalas and other Aussie animals? Oh, I started loving animals since the day I was born, I think. My mum tells a story that the only time I was naughty and, and ran out of the house is when there was an animal nearby. I was never afraid of them, even as a little kid. But koalas, they're kind of a challenge. Um, you know, they're sort of snooty and they look down their noses at you, quite literally. And, um, and they kind of have this, um, sort of, I'll, I'll stand back, you know, I'll, I'll watch what she's doing kind of thing, kind of deep and, and dark. And, um, and I just love them. They're just such a challenge. So I had to get to know them. And, uh, and I found out that um, not much was actually known in the 90s about their behaviour. Um, and so I started looking and I discovered the nose pattern thing. Um, it's now being used by groups all over Australia, but it's the weirdest thing to be known for, really. I look up koala noses. <laughs> well, so someone has to do it. Well, do they? I mean, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, right. What have you done for the world? Oh, I look at <laughs> koala noses. <laughs> well, I think it's important. Being an Aussie, I think it's very important. And I think... Uh, Australia loves you for it. And it's just something that's very, very unique. You're the only one that's ever done that. So yeah, it's yeah, just something you can I say. Oh, yeah. but, I mean, at least you can tell the difference when you go and you take guests out on tours, you can say their names correctly and not just making it up like I'm sure a lot of other guides do. <laughs> oh, no. um, on the humour, huh? Yeah. It, has, it has actually led to a lot of really good projects because it means that ordinary people um, travellers as well, can, can go out to wild nature in Australia, see a koala, take a good photograph of its face using, you know, a decent camera, and they can basically identify that koala if, if there's a group working in, uh, in that area and cataloguing all their noses. It's 
kind of like the way the researchers use the whale tails. Um, you know, you take a photograph of the whale's tail or its dorsal fin or something like the, uh, the guys do down at um, um, uh, Bremer Bay in Western Australia. And they know all of their orca, all of their killer whales from their dorsal fin. So we know all about koalas from their noses and people can get involved in that. It's nice. Well, they're saying it's right under their nose, so it's, it's been there for a long time. The koala, the koala Clancy Foundation, which you founded, yes. has been successfully running for many years, and it's quite unique. Just some quick facts that I've learned. 1,800 volunteers participated with you in 2019. You planted 14,500 koala trees since 2016, removed 1.5 million bone seed weeds in 2015, of which... I must admit, I pulled quite a few of those myself. <laughs> but can you share with us um, the mission of the Koala Clancy Foundation and explain what is a koala tree and bone seed weeds, how do they affect the koala? Well, the mission of the Koala Clancy Foundation is to ensure that our koalas can survive. Um, it's pretty simple, really. Um, and there's a couple of things that koalas in our area, the koalas you've seen with us, there's a couple of things they need. Um, they need trees in rivers and creeks, um, which have high moisture content so that they can get through the hot summers that we've been having lately. And the good thing about those trees often is they're along linear paths. So they're going along rivers with grassland either side. It's an area that's almost fireproof. You know, it's pretty safe from fires. So if we can um, offer koalas that sort of habitat by planting trees, then they will get through um, the decade that we've got to come, which is going to be hard for them. Um, we also need to educate people, Australians particularly, uh, about koalas and their needs, what they really do need, not just the myths, you know, not the drop bear and the all drunk and all of this sort of nonsense that Australians all know about koalas, um, but the real things that they need to know. Because when I've gone, I want koalas to still be around. You know, when your grandkids are in charge of this planet, and they probably will be knowing you, um, I want them to be educated and informed about koalas. I want them to take all of the knowledge that we've gained and be able to use it because they're the advocates of the future. So if we can, if we can educate our locals um, and educate our travellers, then we've basically got a, a wonderful uh, world for koalas to, to live in, uh, people who know their stuff and who know what they need. Did I answer the question? You did, but you didn't really say, I mean, I, I know the answer to this, but I want you to explain it, what a koala tree is, because there's no such thing as a koala tree. And, and really, with the bone seed weeds, why is that affecting the koalas? So a koala tree is a tree that koalas like to eat and need uh, to have in your environment. So there's quite a few species that you can plant that are good for koalas. It depends on the, on the specific location. And we know those through, you know, all the research since 1998, which know which ones they are. The bone seed weed, now that's a hard one to kind of explain, but the bone seed is a, a thick, 
uh, low-growing weed that kind of covers an area of forest. It completely smothers everything in the forest. And koalas, when they come down out of their koala tree, want to walk to another tree, and they get met by this wall of awful weed, and they don't know where to go. They just get disoriented and confused. And, um, and so by removing that weed, we open up the forest and give koalas a chance to get around, to move around, because they need to change trees every single day. Isn't that amazing? You, don't, you just don't think that about koalas, do you? But they can walk a kilometre overnight. Oh, what's that? Two-thirds of a mile. Overnight. Yeah. I can remember you telling me all these stories. And I remember when we were taking the bone seed out on several times, I've been out on the, on the, in the bush with you. It's, it's tough to get out and, and you've got to pull it out pretty heavily. So I can imagine and understand how the koalas don't like it and how they get caught up in it and how they wouldn't want to change the tree. But it is amazing that they have to change trees every day. It's like sleeping in a different bed every night. Yeah, and the weed is not tough to pull out. They're just the ones I gave you. Oh, you're probably... <laughs> probably That'd be right. I can imagine. That's why you kept on pointing to certain parts that I should be taking out. And the and others were right. just, I was breaking a sweat all the time, and then the others were just pulling them out gradually. Well, you're so competitive. I knew you'd want the biggest one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on, on to business. Um, I, know we, I know we started using your company when you first started the company back in the early 1990s, um, and they've never stopped using you. We, we, love, we love using you. Um, initially, your day tours out of Melbourne, and now you've expanded, of course, to multi-day nature trips around the country, which I know you're focusing on terribly now. First, can you elaborate just on the, the, the day tour that you do have for the koalas and kangaroos and a private tour, a shared tour? What happens? What do clients see and do and experience? And then discuss the extended multi-day touring, because you're going to some of the areas of Australia I haven't been to, so it'll be interesting to listen to you. Mm -hmm. By the way, Swain Destinations was the first major US travel company to use us. And I thank you for that. I still remember the day when Sarah came out um, and it was a great uh, step forward for us. Um, the day tour that we do is koalas and kangaroos in the wild. And it's uh, just one day, just out of Melbourne. And you can see um, koalas in the wild with a koala researcher. Um, it's a special experience because it's not just like going to see a koala, tick it off, move on. You know, you meet a koala, you meet an individual personality. So I can tell you if it's Clancy, uh, the koala, I can tell you all about his life. Uh, I've known him since he was a little tiny Joey and he first came out of the pouch. I know his mum, I know his grandma, uh, I know his kids. You know, uh, it's, it, it's a bit like a gorilla experience you get in Uganda and Rwanda, um, where you're meeting an actual family of gorillas and learning all about their lives. So people love that and we love it and uh, we learn so much about them. And then we pull out a few bone seed weeds, as you did, um, to help koalas and people love that too. It's really good fun. Um, and then we go and see kangaroos living in the wild. And that's quite a special experience that surprises a lot of people. Um, because kangaroos are complex, interesting animals and to see them in the wild where they're not coming up to you, they don't want to be fed, um, they're just being themselves, they're hopping away from you, you know, or they're hopping across a 
applying in the distance. It's kind of that quintessential Australia that I think people want to see. Um, that, um, that beautiful feeling of remote outback. And you can do that in a day, which is quite extraordinary. You know, Melbourne's getting bigger and that's getting harder to get out of. Um, but luckily we have beautiful places like that all around Australia that we can also go as, as multi-day tours and get that really uh, remote experience that Australia is so special for. What are some of the favourite ones you're developing or you've got developed already? Oh, we have some exciting ones. Um, so we've got a trip uh, out of Darwin in the Northern Territory, um, which is seven days. And, um, and that's, that's a really exciting area. It's all wildlife up there. We've also got a new one. Um, and you guys, uh, I think, started us down this process, you know, Debbie and Mark from Exmouth Dive and Whale Sharks. So uh, we put together a eight-day itinerary over there at Ningaloo Reef. Um, so one of the days is a whale shark swim, um, which is why people normally go there. But it's a long way from Perth, Exmouth. You have to fly there. Um, and what we discovered when we went over there is there is so wildlife it's like a, a hot spot um, over there on the WA coast there's the reef there's the whale sharks sometimes there's humpbacks but there's also dugongs and dolphins of several species there's there's osprey and noddy terns and amazing bird life and there's these you would love this there's these two little islands off the point of um um, the Cape Range, which only divers go to, but they're sand atolls. You can get out and walk onto them. And um, we're going to do surveys, wildlife surveys on there because no one ever does. Yeah, And it needs to be known, this information. I'm just dying to do this. Um, there's, there's so much more to do there than I think people realise. And it just, it takes an operator like us to package those things together because we know how to do land wildlife and then an operator like Debbie and Mark who knows how to do water wildlife we put those together and we've got this magical experience. There's some great people in our industry and they're, they're all passionate like yourself and getting groups of passionate people together and the sky's the limit and it's just going to be great. Your next task is to actually work out how dugongs can be known apart from each other as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that a go. But, but um, is there any other tours you'd like to talk about that you're coming up with? I mean, because I know you do some extended tours out of Melbourne around the area, which are quite interesting and our clients love them. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about one of those. One of the ones that's becoming really interesting is Mungo. Uh, so well north of Melbourne uh, is Mildura and on the border of New South Wales and Victoria and South Australia there's this wonderful park called Mungo. Um, it has ancient Aboriginal heritage but also amazing outback wildlife and that's becoming a really popular trip. It's a private tour this one. Um, so that the good thing about that is families can do it no matter how young the kids um, and just I mean just to see two different species of kangaroos and emus streaming out across an outback landscape. It's just fantastic. And the parrots, 
are amazing up there. But the other one that I think you'll be interested in is, is Gippsland, um, partly because the bushfires were bad there this year. And we watched in horror as the bushfires basically approached the area where we normally travel, got into some of them, missed others. Um, so there's still enough of Gippsland remaining uh, for us to go there and see wonderful wildlife, but also we can help. So now our focus has changed. Um, a lot of what we do now is conservation travel. There's a component in every experience where you can help the animals. It's only half an hour, you know, it's not like the whole day we're not turning into a volunteer organisation. Um, well, hang on, I, I, was, I was pulling weeds out all day, come on. No, you were not. <laughs> I reckon that was five minutes. <laughs> but it's funny, it's what you remember, isn't it? No, it's great that you're doing that as well. But just back to the koalas for a minute. Can you share with us the most memorable experience you've ever had with a koala? Oh, yes. Um, his name was Timmy. You know what that means. He was the sweetest dark brown chocolate coloured koala. And I got to know him over a couple of years. He was dominant male and he'd been ousted um, from his position, which happens to all dominant male koalas eventually. A younger fella came in and booted him out. And it was a hot day and um, I had a little water sprayer with me. And this is back in the days before people, you know, gave water to koalas or any of that sort of thing. And I just sprayed him just to cool him down. He was sitting at the bottom of a big tree and I just sat down and I was still two metres away from him, just spraying him gently with this, this water. And he came walking over to me to probably get closer to the water. And then he sat on my lap, this enormous 12 kilo wild koala full of teeth and claws just came and sat in my lap. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Ian, he could take my face off because actually they're very powerful koalas. But I think it would be worth it, you know, to have this experience. And I let him sit there. He was extremely gentle with me. He was an extraordinary koala. And he gave me the koala nose kiss, which is the most beautiful thing. You know how the New Zealanders touch noses mm -hmm. with each other? And it's really a beautiful experience. Uh, it's a great experience. It is, isn't it? It's 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 very intimate and um, oh, quite overwhelming. Well, koalas do it. Um, now, in the wild, you no, humans don't have nose touches with koalas. I mean, but this wild koala just reached up his nose and just pressed it against mine. And honestly, I will never forget it until the day I die. It's a, um, it's a wonderful story. I had not heard that before. It's a beautiful story. No. Thank I you don't normally tell people. Thank you for um, sharing so that. You're not going to share this, I hope. No, we won't tell anybody, you know. <laughs> it but, doesn't um, happen normally. <laughs> <laughs> seeing that um, animals are a big part of tourism, mm. is there anything that concerns you about the future of our unique Australian animals? 
Yes, yes. That's, climate change is devastating our wildlife worldwide. Um, and we need to make something happen. We need to change um, the way we do a lot of things. Now, I think people should travel. I think people should travel because through travel, you see and you learn about other places, other animals, and you see the effect that humans can have both positively and negatively on wildlife. Travelling has changed my life and my understanding of the world. People need to come to places where they can do the most good. I think that's our focus for the future. What we saw this year as a result of those horrific bushfires um, was a world outpouring of emotion towards koalas. And this is the beginning, I think, of koalas becoming the symbol of the 2020s, this, the symbol of everything that we want to change, the world wants to change, but there are some not listening, you know, and they're mostly governments and big business who are not listening to the people. People, people expressed their feeling very strongly at that time and they haven't stopped expressing it, even with COVID. People are still talking about koalas. And I think, I think we'll see um, a massive change um, in the way we approach um, climate change um, native forest logging um, and um, um, the way governments see koalas as a result of this. We can we can only hope that that happens because having unique animals any in any country is just a wonderful thing. And as you're talking about my grandchildren before, I want them to grow up knowing all about them. And having people like yourself documenting and making all this right uh, will allow that to happen. Janine, during the pandemic, you know, you're, you're an inability, you couldn't run tours, obviously. Did you visit the areas and say good day to your koala mates like Clancy and Tim Tam? And do you have any feel-good stories you can share of communities banding together in and around the areas you visit uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, we have been able to continue our koala research, uh, which has been really lucky and really good. Um, so we've been doing it without clients. Uh, it's sadder, but it's still important. Uh, we've also been planting trees uh, and it, it's been a fantastic opportunity for us to bond with our staff because all of our staff are still on. Uh, they're still working, but they're doing different jobs now. They're, they're planting trees for koalas for the future. We spent more time together over this uh, pandemic than we ever did when we were doing tours. <laughs> it's really funny. You know, a tour guide comes in in the morning, says hi for 15 minutes and then heads out on their own for the day. Uh, but we've been spending the whole day together. We've been seeing um, properties that are the future for koalas, the future for our clients, actually. So one day, not too far in the future, maybe five or 10 years, um, we'll be taking people to these properties to see koalas. That will be powerful. That's exciting. If you visit your website for the Koala Clancy Foundation, you'll see all about mm -hmm. that. And it's um, there's some great photos on how you planted these trees and these new groves and creating these new forests for the koalas to live. I really enjoyed our time as usual, Janine, and thank you for sharing your time with us today and your passion 
about conservation. The world is a much better place because of you. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Janine. Thank you, Ian. It's lovely to see you. Okay, bye.